Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams and Tea Podcast, where we spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week, we're coming at you with a brand new episode talking about two new releases from two art. We're going to be talking about the long-awaited follow-up to indie pop, dream pop band, Always's album, Anti-Socialites. Five years in the making, we are reviewing Blue Rev today one of the most like biggest albums of the year in the world of indie and alt music uh and we're also going to be talking about the second time we're talking about this band we're talking about the newest album from melodic metalcore and counterparts we did a record club last year courtesy of morgan on their album nothing left to love and now we're talking about their new album, the one we're also going to be mentioning uh, some other releases in like a smaller segment. No, uh, Riley and I both listened to the newest album from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Ice and Blood, the Song of Ice and Fire, whatever. Ice Five, Ice Five, and the new album from is it the just Gila Band? Yeah, Gila Band. Yeah, they used to be known as they used to be called Girl Band, but they've recently changed their name to Gila Band. Probably because I, I think mean, there are no girls in the band. And maybe that was a bit. Also, on the channel this week, uh, to the day we were recording this, but uh, for everyone else this past Friday, uh, Riley put out a cute little video uh, that is just plainly titled 30 Minutes of Music Podcasters Going Quietly cute. Insane, which is just, I mean, by our Upsetting. standards, I guess it's it is a bunch of outtakes that Riley keeps saved in a little folder on their computer just because we, you know, we edit a lot of our stuff more heavily now. So there is, you know, entertaining segments of episodes that are a bit non sequitur sometimes, but Riley is a smart person who keeps them on standby in case you want to edit them to a funny little compilation. And that is exactly what happened. So yeah. it's very, it's a short video for us, but it's, it's very funny, some good bits in there. And we also, a bit spur of the moment, did a record club on my favorite album by one of my favorite bands, The Flaming Lips. We talked about their deeply underrated 2013 record, The Terror. Uh, thank you for the shout out mr flaming lips we can we can add them to the list of high profile musicians that have acknowledged our existence uh felt really good about that it wasn't even oh, just wow. like an acknowledgement either he, he said i love this which is like yeah it's like when the fucking uh world is a beautiful place Don't. twitter was just like oh man thanks for all you had to say and i'm like does that mean that you fucking watched our entire segment on your oh my yeah. god yeah, it's that, like that that's... except if the person in question wrote the music to the soft bulletin <laughs> it's like, like yeah it's it's uh i really appreciate the kind words mr drazd uh do not watch our video on American Head. No, it's fine. Uh, I only just... I only linked the the Yashimi one. Um, but yeah, so okay, Mister Drazd, I bat for that album pretty hard still. Anyway, let's get into what we've been listening to for the past seven days, as per usual. Jake, what have you been listening to? Movie soundtracks, partially because I am going to be a little uh, cross promotional podcast information. Um, our friend Zach friend of the channel runs uh, a great little podcast of his own called the first watch podcast where he and guests occasionally uh talk about different movies new movies old movies and with like a really interesting central conceit 
of attacking like movies from different perspectives. It's a really thoughtful, really entertaining podcast. Highly recommend it. Um, I was on their most recent evaluation of the Jurassic World films. Morgan was recently there for that was a great episode. talked about no. It, I, I listened to both of those last night just to pass the time and they're wildly it was so funny i like i remember listening to the jurassic world trilogy episode while i was like doing chores and shit and i was just literally giggling the whole time on the other end of the spectrum of like talking about things that i actually like on that show i'm going to be doing an episode with him where we talk about dario argento's suspiria and luca guadagnino's suspiria which if you know me uh both suspirias are two of my favorite films of all time uh so in preparation for that i wanted to talk like specifically a lot about the music and what the music says about both of those movies because both of them uh, very prominently have a soundtrack made by a band or a musician that is kind of like exists separately from the context of like making score music and like the albums of music that they have associated with them kind of work on their own sort of level because you know the Guadagnino Suspiria has the Tom York soundtrack which I have a great affinity for I've listened to like hundreds of hours of that damn thing just from like writing alone and the same goes for the goblin score to Suspiria which uh if you don't know who goblin are they're an Italian sort of psychedelic rock and progressive rock band that kind of got started doing soundtracks and are mostly known for doing soundtracks to Dario Argento and like um other sort of jolly adjacent uh films uh, but the, I mean, like the score to Suspiria, I think is very uh, beloved by a lot of people. If you love that movie, you probably love that score. I have ever since I saw it in high school, listened to it a whole lot. And I listened to it in preparation. And one of the cool things about it is that it is certainly works as a great 70s prog rock, psychedelic rock album that feels like the midway meeting point between King Crimson and the Flaming Lips. And it's dope as shit. Um, it's weird as hell. Like, I, I can't necessarily say I wholeheartedly recommend it to people who haven't seen the movie and have an established connection with it. Like, you might be a little weirded out by the weird vocalizations on the like, title track where he's just like, witch. And he's just like, and it's like, it's a little. <laughs> that said, the title track piece of music for Suspiria is like one of the greatest pieces of progressive rock ever recorded. Uh, and the rest of the album is not far behind it, in my opinion. It's just nothing sounds like it. Like, you can certainly recommend this to people who like this kind of music, but there's still just nothing that manages to evoke how weird this is. Like, on some tracks, they're just, like, beating the shit out of steel drums and playing these, like, like squeaky squelching high-pitched moog synthesizers and it's it's so fucking weird sounding but is a perfect sort of soundtrack experience even like separated from the film it's it's it perfectly evokes that kind of dreamy alice in wonderland sort of atmosphere but like you know super duper fucked um so i, I recommend giving that a listen if you like the movie or have never done it before uh, go watch the movie and then listen to that. It's cool. But the the really cool thing is that I went to download all of these things and I noticed something is that like days ago, the 45th anniversary of Suspiria had like a reissued version of the soundtrack 
by specifically under the name of uh, Claudio Simonetti's Goblin. Uh, and Claudio Simonetti is like the main guy in Goblin. And he released what is basically, he reworked the entire album to be a progressive rock album. Like he basically like rearranged the track list a little bit so that it has a bit more of an album-like flow to it. Um, a lot of the instruments are updated and stuff. And like, the, but compositions are basically exactly the same. And like, there's not a lot on here that sounds like terrifically different, like from everything else. It, it It's like a full fucking, uh, uh, Antonoff and Berninger Taylor's version moment where they just basically almost flawlessly replicate all of the stuff you remember about the originals but simultaneously make it sound like a little bit better and the cool thing though is that essentially he turns this into a ghost album this sounds like opus eponymous like and it's dope as shit it's just like hey did you like the Suspiria score what if I put in a bunch of rad ass guitar solos all over it and it transformed from being something a little bit more atmospheric to something a little bit more tangible and a bit more confrontational but it's so much fun it's it, like again this is something that i really think you need a frame of reference of the original to sort of enjoy the changes being made but this is actually something i'd recommend to like a normal person a little bit more easily just because it's a more like vibrant sounding just because of the like newer recording and it's it's super awesome it's a really cool really unique experience like it's very it's very 70s sounding still but those guitar solos man that motherfucker is going so hard on all of this shit and it just rules it's super cheesy and i fucking love it i finally finally after having basically everybody around me just be like you need to listen to this fucking band already. And I finally sat down. Actually, I didn't sit down. I listened to this while standing. That doesn't make any sense. I listened to ah. Unwound for the first time. I listened to my first album from them. I listened to Fake Train. Fake Train is a fantastic album. It's it's definitely, you know, it leans way harder into that sort of post-hardcore kind of sound that like you know Nirvana never really like flirted with outside of the heavier post-hardcore stuff on maybe in utero but, like, they're this both, is a they're both Washington more... bands for whatever it's worth and they're they're kind of oh. bigger, getting really sort of well, formed around the same time so they, they have the same kind of appeal I think like if you like Nirvana and you've just you know you're expanding your musical palette a little bit I feel like this is going to be right up your alley but it sort of commits more to what you expect from that genre like in the 90s and as a result it's like great record and it just makes you feel fucking horrible just fucking awful just a, a deeply resigned angry kind of an album I would almost describe as being destitute uh, in a complimentary way it is a record that feels very much like it it channel like it feels like it's channeling the same energy as like brand new on science fiction or channeling where it's just like there's some sort of otherworldly darkness that's infecting every member of this band and it just makes you feel sound horrible it's it's a very kind of grimy record but it's also very like it, it's a very stripped back experience i think the sound of it is actually like it's not quite as eclectic but it's not a million miles away 
from some of the earlier stuff from like at the drive-in like when it gets like really kind of intense or like really ambitious there's like a 10 minute long song on there it's got like a it's like three parts like that actually really reminded me of something that would be on you know relationship of command or uh something else from them but i mean this is just this is a classic in every regard and i have been assured that like you know once you're in you're kind of in with this band and that like all of their other records are just you know, like you may end up having a different favorite than basically everyone else you know which is like one of my favorite types of bands to get into where it's just like who you fucking might, knows man you might have know. a different favorite just each time you listen to one of their albums they're that kind of band yeah actually, to be honest yeah, it's sort of super weird think, to me that like so many like young people are really into this band. Um, I, I, it's good. It's cool. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, the fact that there's such a like an on, they've become such a kind of like online cult band among like you know Gen Z is like like the, the particular brand of Gen Z like who are like, you know the the rate your music music Twitter sort of users yeah. as well. They seem to be really obsessed with this band, which is just a funny thing to me. It's just one of those sort of like. Um, things that's worked out and I guess it's kind of a testament as well to kind of like the power of just how great music can be sometimes where it's like there's nothing about Unwound that kind of signifies anything so what people are actually latching onto is the music uh, and that's really mm. awesome it, it feels very contained it's just something that you enjoy without like it becomes fully absorbing even though it is kind of comparatively sort of I won't say tamed because there's a lot of energy and a lot of anger in that album, but it's very much not a, it's not a super dense record. It really allows you to sort of appreciate every single working, moving part in it. Um, so I'm anxious to get to shit like uh, new plastic ideas or uh, repetition and leaves turn inside you is like something I kind of want to build to just because that seems to be like the album from them. It sounds like this is your plan anyway, which is what you should do. Just listen to them all in chronological order. That is the best way to consume that discography. All right. Last thing I'm going to shout out here is I'm going to shout out uh, a band because nobody, like this is uh, one of those bands that like nobody's basically heard of, but even though they've got albums that like do well, they're just a bit too, uh, I guess, left to the dial of what music is looking for right now. Uh, this is a Canadian, Toronto, Canada metal band called Autonoesis, and they have two albums, their 2020 self-titled album and their newest album, Moon of Foul Magics. And I, of course, came across this by way of Pokegem, who has just an obscene amount of great metal recommendations. Uh, and I went to this just because it looked really interesting because, I mean, it has a really striking album cover and its genre tags are thrash metal, melodic black metal, and progressive metal. And I was like, fucking shit, sign me up, man. And I gave this a listen. And the thing is about Moon of Foul Magics is that this album is a masterpiece. This is the most exciting metal album of the year uh to me anyway and it's because it combines everything cool about this world of extreme music and it does it in a way that works for all of its singular components but synthesizes it into something truly special and invigorating because this album to me like you i can pull 
from so many different places of albums this reminds me of. It's like the first thing that comes to mind with this combination of kind of melodic black metal and death metal and progressive metal is that it's the, a lot of it does feel like Opeth, specifically very early Opeth, which grants it a kind of novelty in that like early Opeth is a very distinct sound that they kind of evolved away from before they actually like perfected it. So if you want to sort of like, this is what that band would have been like if they kind of stayed more of a death metal band than a prog metal band. And so you already have that. And there's like these, you know, dark folk influences that are also in Opeth music, but also it has a thrashier side to it, like a blackened thrash kind of like Bathory, uh, very much like self-titled Bathory, Bloodfire Death, uh, Under the Sign of the Black Mark, like just quintessential ass beating music. Um, but because it's progressive metal, structurally speaking, the thrash aspect of it never grows tiring like one of the things that morgan mentioned when we were talking about megadeth is that he actually isn't really a huge fan of thrash metal because it you know it, it can be it has a ceiling i think with a lot of people and i can certainly understand that i'm probably a little bit more into thrash metal than he is like broadly speaking but this wears so many musical hats that it just doesn't have time to grow old it's so fucking restless in its execution of every single idea that it has and like once i listen to like it's got this really pretty intro song like exile which is like really really beautiful and then it goes into the title track and this thing is a monster this is so brutal it has that kind of black metal edge that you want from sound like this but that whining progressive instrumental sort of ambitious structure that makes all of it feel so fun and so fresh and so triumphant sounding. This is a, a lot like the, the band that I got a little bit into earlier this year that is compared often to Opeth, which is the black, per, black metal progressive metal band Enslaved. And I really like their records, but they never really hit like a really high ceiling for me. They, they have an interesting combination of like, you know, more harshly produced black metal and progressive structures but they don't really ever refine it to a point where they hit like a, a high note of a blackwater park or something like that and to be perfectly honest with you i actually think that this manages to do it because the title track is fucking amazing and when i was listening to it i was like well it's all going to be downhill from here because I, there, there's just no way you're going to be able to top this shit and immediately afterwards, you have a song like Raise the Dead. And this is just fucking, this is pure Megadeth worship. But fucking, like, again, through the lens of black metal. It's, it's fucking uh, Rust in Peace by way of the self-titled Bathory. And it kicks fucking ass. And then there's songs like Crypt of Thought, which just, again, completely double down on this proggy sort of nature of it. Like the vocals are so fucking harsh, but everything feels really instrumentally legible. It has beautiful, gorgeous, triumphant moments like the song Valhall, which is gorgeous, that transitions into the final three track run of The Conjurer on Black Wings of Eternity and Descending the Void. And this is bar none, the best 25 minutes of metal that I've heard in maybe like half of a decade. Like when the weak point here is a song like The Conjurer, which does whip ass, something special is happening. On Black Wings of Eternity, the penultimate track here is the best metal song of 2022. It's not by a lot because there have been 
a lot of metal songs, rest assured. But this gave me chills. It stopped me dead in my tracks. This is the second metal album that I've listened to, like modern contemporary metal album that has actually reduced me to tears from sheer beauty. The last time that happened was on Panopticon's album last year. The sort of melodic kind of like place this reaches, it kind of starts off from like a more sort of primitive thrashy place and then just gets proggier and proggier as the album goes on. And this final three track run is just, it's stupefyingly beautiful. And then the fucking final song, I was just like, well, that's kind of anticlimactic because you're going to end like, you know, what, what comes after this can't possibly be. And then it fucking is like, Jesus and like sure not an album for everybody but I look at this and it's like it's got like less than 200 ratings on rate your music and I'm like guys fucking come on the guitar work on this album alone should be netting this so much fucking cred it's ridiculous like the solos on here alone will just make you shit yourself you'll be listening to it you'll just be like how like how is this not some fucking like metal wunderkind that like people write articles about because the guitar work is some pure judas priest shit some kk downing shit it's fucking vicious this whole record and surprisingly they're 2020 self-titled holy shit it's fucking great too it, it it's slower moments aren't as sort of beguilingly beautiful as the newer ones and i do think that holds it back a little bit but it's so ambitious and it kicks so much ass that i just i have to shout out this band i have never been more upset at like the disproportionate amount of like my assessed quality of a record and it's seeming like lack of popularity if you are into any of these genres it's like you like opeth if you like bathory if you like these albums like, this is a must hear. or if you like one of the other bands i was reminded of sort of malak progressive black metal is one of my favorite metal bands which is moon sorrow which again are a band that i'm just like more people need to fucking sound like this it, it's ridiculous that more people don't and it, it is one of like it it's it in my way it's way into like my top five of the year to the point where i was just like i don't think this is going to upset for my metal album of the year just because that's such in a tight deadlock with ship of despair but this is the metal album that i have enjoyed listening to the most in a very long time it is so much fun it is so like it's so like emotional in parts and so fucking great i just i i can't imagine anyone i know thinking that this is anything less than positively excellent uh it, it's not innovative or cutting edge in, in in any way but you know everything can't be boundary pushing everything can't be this incisive cutting edge thing and i know lots of people look for that in music these days and we're more inclined to give things a fair chance than most music listeners i think just because we're more rooted in observing music as a as a whole than maybe most people are and that's fine but like i can't i can't let this band go undiscovered this is so ridiculous uh, I, I please go listen to it. Go give them money on Bandcamp. Like they're a band that's so small they can't even afford to have like physical releases of their shit. It's so, like go on their Bandcamp. We'll like link it below or something. They they like you can pay them any amount of money for their music. You can get their albums for fucking free on there for God's sakes. And it's just like 
just go go support them please for the love of god so uh slipknot released a new album towards uh, towards the very tail end of september it's not their worst album <laughs> they try some new things on here the the new things are uniformly bad um <laughs> Which I really hate to say, uh, because I think a band like Slipknot, like close to 25 years into their career, if not at that marker already, should be pushing their boundaries as much as possible. And I hate to sort of punish that uniformly. But what the fuck is Adderall? Like, what is that? Who allowed this? If I were you, I would delete this. I mean, I wouldn't um, feel too guilty because I know that you and I are both really big proponents of their record before this, where they try a bunch of new stuff and it really works, like throughout the whole album. So, um, so keeping in mind the fact that we're describing a record for people who may not have heard it, what I, I have no idea. What's the deal with Adderall? Like, what, what's wrong with that song? Adderall is basically all clean song. Uh, oh, oh, there's no. some. I don't want no, to hear Corey nice... Taylor singing clean vocals. Well, Under... that's the thing is I that d- it's, it, it feels kind of like a watered-down Stone Sour. Well, Stone Sour would le- at least have the gumption to be fun in a moment yeah, like this. Yeah, exactly. This is just, a, you know, mid-tempo and sloggy and really dull when it's trying to be atmospheric and uh, groundbreaking for the band. And it just... Uh, you know, it's, it's things that are true of several points on this album, and they can't, you know, they can't come to me and say, "Oh, there's oh, if you don't like our new sound, then fuck you." If like you can maybe come to me and say that, Mister Taylor, I'm adding you directly. If you weren't going to release the dying song and Chapel Town Rag as your as your two singles, because those are the slipknottiest ass Slipknot songs that they've ever made, basically. And they're and like, great. Yeah. And, you know, you, you can't try and pull a fast one on us and then be like, oh, if you don't like our new direction, you just, you're not a true fan. You cry about it. Like, well, you know, maybe if you had the gumption to advertise your new directions, then I would have known to not bother listening to this. Um, a note of things that are not mid. Uh, I listened to a new release from an artist who operates under the name of Djo, uh, just D-J-O. And believe it or not, this is the moniker of one Mr. Joe Keery of Steve Harrington, oh. Stranger Things fame. Wow. Um, okay. This album was recommended to me <laughs> by my roommate who has been uh been listening to some of mr curie's output uh for a little while now because he actually has been doing this for a handful of years and it's always a sort of been advertised to me as a sort of neo-psychedelic pop stuff Uh, and i haven't listened to any of the earlier material really in depth in any way Uh, i wouldn't describe uh decide as a neo-psychedelic album Oh, it, cer- it certainly has those elements, but it I it definitely does feel like just an indie pop record to me. A lot of Talking Heads influence, uh, a lot of Voids influence. Uh, dude kind of even sounds like Casablancas. Um, 
and I, I really enjoyed this album like a lot more than I was expecting to. I think the production quality is like uniformly outstanding. Record just sounds really good almost throughout. It's consistently really hooky and earwormy, even in its slower moments. Uh, with, uh, the song End of Beginning is uh, sort of almost ballad-esque, uh, but it just has these vocal hooks that have been stuck in my mind since I listened to the album. I, I would highly recommend giving this a shot. Kiri himself is just really charismatic and eccentric sort of uh, as a presence here, and I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, last thing I'll mention is... I gave a full listen to this year's release from one Mr. Greg Pucciato, uh, Mirror Cell. So, to the surprise of absolutely no one, I loved this. It's the, where uh, Child Soldier was sort of uh, really all over, all over the place, everything in the kitchen sink approach. Uh, this is a, a much more focused record, I feel. Pucciato has definitely leaned more into an alternative metal, almost grunge-esque flavor of hard rock and metal on here. Like, there's so much Jerry Cantrell influence all over this album, which is interesting Ooh. because he toured with Cantrell for a while and they sang some Alice in Chains songs on that tour. And I would have murdered the both of you in cold blood uh, to see that. Uh, but, you know, that's fair. Be that as it may. Those moments are really strong, pretty much uniformly. And he, there's a moment on the album, that moment being the song called uh, We, uh, where he sort of <laughs> leans more into uh, fucking trigger some alert. Of the, yeah, the dark wave influences that he was playing with on child soldier and i like that it is one of my favorite things that he has ever been involved with i i have to be honest and say i saw the feature credit reba myers and like in my head i was thinking of reba mcintyre reba mcintyre uh -huh. that happens i mean uh, reba myers of code orange fame right uh, oh and just fucking Ooh. unbelievable vocal performance on that song that song is amazing i too. want now i want reba mcintyre on a code orange track <laughs> i don't see why not all right uh, as for what i've been listening to recently one thing i checked out uh this week is a singer songwriter record from an artist from louisville kentucky uh that was recommended to me by connor of all people actually put me onto this artist it's an artist who goes by the name of emperor x Real name Chad Matheny, and uh, yeah, Emperor X is better. Yeah, well, you can <laughs> see. Uh, and so he's put out. He, he's been kind of a sort of a little bit of a cult artist, sort of low under the radar. I mean, his records don't have many ratings or much acknowledgement on really any musical service or not. He's very, very sort of uh, in his own lane. Uh, but how I would describe it is, it's like uh, it's a fusion of John Daniel. Uh, it's a fusion of the Mountain Goats and Say Anything basically it's that kind of singer songwriter stuff uh there's a little bit of ambition in the arrangements as well but it's still very much focused around like coarse songwriting lyricism great melodies great you know playing and performances uh the singer's voice as well like 
Chad's voice, uh, Mr. X, uh, his whole like vocal style. <laughs> um like the the way he makes songs is very john daniel but also like his voice is very john daniel but it's specifically it's john daniel doing a ben gibbard impression imagine what that sounds like in your head right now and that's it, it probably sounds like the lead singer of ockerville river well <laughs> yes actually that's probably a really good comparison and it seemed like um will chef and this guy were kind of in the same sort of lane in the 2000s although this guy was getting way less attention um, but anyway, he has a new record out this year. This actually came out about six months ago. So I'm late to the party on this. It's called The Lakes of Zones B and C. Uh, it's a very short record. It's only 32 minutes. Uh, very, it has very few ratings, as you would expect. Um, but of course, a consequence of a great album having very few ratings is that if you look at the track ratings, they're absurdly high. <laughs> Uh, for the most part except yep. for one drone track that no one likes but whatever uh and, and look this is a great album it's great songwriting it's great vocal presence it's great arrangements it's just fantastic from front to back uh really great sense of humor as well like i the say anything thing comes in because they're not really emo but they have that same kind of like tongue-in-cheek emo adjacent aesthetic where it's kind of like poking fun and being a little bit self-aware about how kind of pretentious that style of music can be. I mean, there's songs on here called uh, False Metal, Freeway in Heaven, Communists in Luxury. Uh, there's just like, there's a real kind of like, uh, it's, yeah, it is sort of say anything by way of like, I don't know, um, Transcendental Youth era Mountain Goats sort of style of like, you know, hippie self-awareness that I find really, yeah. really uh, endearing actually in this instance. Uh, so yeah, it's only 32 minutes. It's really short and it's really, really well put together. So I highly recommend that. Uh, Connor's hugely into that as well. So he would back me up. Next thing I want to shout out is uh, a new record from a, an established artist, a, a classic artist as well. This is also an album that came out much, much earlier this year that I'm only just now getting around to. And it is an album from the legendary progressive electronic artist, Tangerine Dream. Their new album, ah. Realm. Realm, realm, not to be confused with the the musical project realm, which is a side project of groupers Liz Harris that put out a really great drone record this or, year. Or realm, called... the spider from Bloodborne. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, uh, <laughs> so obviously, if you know anything about Tangerine Dream as well, you'll know that they are one of the the, they're one of the premier Berlin school artists of the 70s, like this particular, you know, sect of electronic artists that were really focusing on sound design. And they often get, I think, misleadingly lumped in with ambient artists like Brian Eno, but they never really ever made ambient music. It was always very much like um, sonic soundscapes kind of trying to create some kind of an environment with like keyboards and synthesizers and really kind of trying to explore the furthest possibilities of the technology right and so bands like tangerine dream were really at the center of that and obviously you know tangerine dream have gone through a lot of lineup changes over the years as well and they haven't really been active all that much you know in the last several years as well as a result of you know growing old members passing away you know and also the fact they had really sort of settled into basically just kind of a perpetual stasis of just kind of churning out very low effort straightforward unremarkable albums but realm is a different story realm is uh essentially part of what the conceit of this record is is that it's partially retooling old material uh from this from the 70s through to the 2000s as well a lot of uh edgar freezes who's a founding member a lot of his demos as well 
um, and just kind of trying to, I guess, it's almost like a taking stock as well to a certain extent as well, because, you know, Tangerine Dream have been around for 55 years now. And I don't think, I don't know that. Jesus. Um, I'm not sure. Let me just check. I'm not sure how many of the remaining members were actually even in the original lineup, to be honest with you. Like it's been an evolving project with evolving presences all the way through. And I'm no, I don't actually know that any of them were in the original lineup, which is kind of wild, but this is regardless. When, when it's 55 fucking years, Jesus. Regardless, like this is this film is very much like an attempt to sort of celebrate, you know, the longevity of Tangerine Dream essentially and make a record that has more pulse and has more vibrance and has more excitement in it than anything they've made in a really, really long time. And so I think that this is uh, if you're interested in Tangerine Dream, while I, you know, it's not a classic Tangerine Dream album, it could never be. Uh, and wisely, it doesn't try to sound like one either. I mean, it sounds very different from their 70s material. It's much more polished. It's much more kind of like down tempo adjacent. And it's got a much more, it's got a much higher presence on more modern sounding synthesizers and stuff. But it is still Tangerine Dream through and through, right? And it sounds invigorated. It sounds lively. It sounds really exciting. I mean, there's a 19 minute track on this thing uh, that is like legitimately one of my favorite pieces of electronic music I've heard this year. It's, it's just a journey. Um, and it's, it's, it's over an hour long. So, you know, but it is like, you know, they're the kind of band where you kind of expect that to a certain extent. And the record kind of does sort of drift through and go by really quickly. It's helped me a lot with getting work done this week as well. Um, I do think that the longer tracks... Um, do stand out the most for how much room they are given to breathe but still over overall it's just a gorgeous record i can't recommend it enough yeah i, I think it's a really really beautiful return to form for a tangerine dream and um, i don't know if they'll plan to continue making records that have the kind of i don't know excitement of this and maybe they have and maybe they just haven't moved the needle so i'm not aware of them if there are any tangerine dream heads out there maybe let me know about that but it's got me really really thrilled um, to be, you know, thinking about them again and be, to be revisiting their classic records and also to be able to say unequivocally that their new shit rules. So yeah, it's a really great album. Yeah, so the last thing that I will shout out is uh, a record that has been making a great deal of noise on the internet as well. Uh, they got our best new music from Pitchfork. They've been really, really big in online circles as well. Uh, they're an Irish band, an Irish noise rock band called Gilla Band, formerly known as Girl Band. And I think they kind of started making waves in 2015 with their debut album, Holding Hands with Jamie, which is, I think, a really good uh, noise rock record. Our good friend Zach has described that album as if Animal Collective made post-punk, which I think is a really uh, great way of selling it. Has songs on it like Fucking Butter and Texting an Alien that give you an idea of this band's uh, very irreverent sense of humor, um, but don't, also... Don't, don't fuck the butter. But also, also like a kind of commitment to, you know, they're kind of like, they're almost like a Mr. Uh, philosophically more, more than sonically, they're kind of like a Mr. Bungle of noise rock, right? They're irreverent troublemakers. And so their latest record, first under the new rebrand, is called Most Normal, you know, very tongue-in-cheek thing. And a lot about Gila Band is very tongue-in-cheek. And it's one of those things where it really rides a certain line uh, and it, it kind of exists, you know, and I, I don't want to do it a disservice. It kind of exists more to make a statement about where music, where particular um, scenes of music are at than I think to be its own kind of great record. A lot of people love this. I, I like this. I like it 
probably a little bit more even in spirit than I like listening to it. I like the idea of it. Although I do think it has some, a couple, actually two or three uh, great songs on it. And also I think that honestly, more so than being a record about songs anyway, it's kind of just a record about noise and about kind of having your head bashed in. And the, sort of the idea of it, at least what I take away from it as well, I'm, I'm reading into it here. I haven't read any interviews or anything like that. Is a lot of this feels very much to me to be kind of like a parody of a lot of what's been going on in sort of British and Irish post-punk, post-punk adjacent bands in the last like three or four years. Uh, it's, it's, it's both that and also kind of trying in its own sort of earnest way to do that sort of thing as well, which is maybe where it gets a little bit muddled in some places. But I do think that it's kind of quite smarmy and snarky and kind of just enjoyable on this very base level as sort of taking the piss out of a lot of the self-seriousness of those bands, particularly, you know, the, the comparison is obvious because they're both Irish bands. You know, I have to bring up Fontaine's DC here. This to mm -hmm. me, it's like if you fed Fontaine's DC a shit ton of LSD and then you forced them into the Ludovico treatment from A Clockwork Orange and then you made huh. them make music and you would get something like that. Sounds this. like something Ross Robinson would do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it's absolutely apocryphal noise. Uh, Jake, I'm curious what you thought. Yeah, I won't be on the bush. This was not for me. Um, I, I, I really, really did not care for it. I appreciated it on the base level, and I wouldn't say that I even really like disliked it. I, I kind of valued the experience, but like, I won't lie. Viscerally speaking, this is a lot in common with the newest Viagra Boys album and had a lot of the same problems that it did for me and that like it, it, the structures here are not as stolid as on that album. They, they'll just kind of like become noisier as some certain tracks progress. And sometimes that's pretty cool. I like it when it just like, especially on the first couple of songs, there are some moments where they just get like, you know, parodically ridiculous with how noisy and like ugly it can sound. And I, I kind of like and respect that. But as for like, it really does sort of feel hindered by the fact that they're trying to poke fun at this sort of established music scene. Because what happens is, is they just sort of trip over into making the exact same kind of music that like, it, it's aesthetically pushed further and that I can respect a bit more. And it does lead to me enjoying certain songs on this album, let it be known. I, I really actually appreciated songs that were like really ambitious, some of the longer ones on here, like uh, The Weirds, mm. uh, for example, or stuff like Backwash, I think was a really fun song. Um, or even the, the final song, Post Ryan. I think that's probably the best song on here for my money anyway. But for every one of those, there's like, you know, there's a song like Gushy, which is just like, hey, here's a minute and change of us fucking around. Ha ha ha, because you found that so compelling the first time. And then there's like, the, it, it's all epitomized on the song I Was Away, which is like, I can't fucking stand this song. It's it's so obnoxious. It's just, I was away, 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 away. I was away. It's just, sounding a bit like Paul McCartney there. <laughs> he's he's got an intonation in his voice that makes him sound like a cross between like paul mccartney and like joe talbot and it, it again i like this a lot more than the albums that this is like taking the piss out of 
but I also don't think that it goes substantially further, farther enough to become like its own singularly compelling thing. Like mm-hmm. if you just gave me to the, this in a vacuum, it, it's like worthless. Then you give it to me in the context of the music that it's kind of, you know, pinning down. And I'm like, okay, I, I get what this is doing and I kind of enjoy it, but I also like, this just can't be enjoyed as anything other than like, the 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 kind of tongue-in-cheek thing that it is and i just i don't get along with that kind of shit from the outset so it was kind of fighting an uphill battle with me so in that respect it's kind of an endorsement of the album that i didn't like totally fucking hate it like there's a solid half of the album that i think is like pretty compelling but it's also just like it's kind of messy kind of rambly and it contains all of those aesthetic signifiers that i'm just i am sick to death of them when they are being applied in new and interesting ways and here they're not being applied in new and interesting ways they're they're a lot more fundamental and like there are moments on here where it sounds like the the most recent like daughter's album where it's just like it gets noisy as fuck and repetitive and it's just hellish like some hell sometimes the vocal delivery is like fucking uh uh blood money era tom Wiss. and like that stuff's kind of cool but at the same time, it just it feels so slapdash in both structure in that like all of these song lengths are just like fucking all over the goddamn shop. But it just it feels really sloppy in its construction and not focused enough in its like final sort of form. Like you, you said, it's just sort of like this continual sort of noisy experience. And like I, I, I kind of value that, but I also just like it's a it's a 30 like something minute long record and i was just like thank god this isn't longer thank god it ended when it did yeah i definitely like i i i have to say i i definitely saw this coming that you would not be into this at all but i still wanted to get your perspective as soon as the first song ended i was just like i know why riley told me to listen to this now (laughs) yeah and i think the thing is and this is like a fundamental maybe difference between you and me in some ways is like yeah, I do think that it it doesn't really make much sense or serve much purpose outside of its context, but that's kind of okay, I think. Like sometimes context is enough, yes. I think. And kind of it, and I I think maybe this is just a product of being too online as well that I can I start to really appreciate records that are kind of doing this sort of thing. I I also think too that like maybe people especially who like us who evaluate art from a holistic perspective, I think that sometimes we go not us necessarily but like sometimes people go too far in terms of evaluating stuff in a vacuum because it's like oh this only works with like this cultural context and it's just like yeah but we live in a world where that cultural context exists we're never going to live in a world where it's not there so i feel like the whole like this doesn't work in a vacuum thing is kind of a silly complaint at this point now but like that still doesn't mean it's going to work it's the same kind of like false argument as like oh this is so simple anyone could have made this like it's the same yeah. the same problem with that argument as with the whole like context isn't important but anyway it's like well then um, why didn't you you know like but, but anyway i, I sure. did enjoy i think i definitely enjoyed this record more than you even if i think that it exhausted <laughs> its point fairly quickly um yeah i i like giller band a great deal more like i will say like you know as i think is very clear i like this record a lot more than the viagra boys album um oh i do, I do think, too <laughs> i do think um you know especially considering this is um their third record that i i think i would like to see 
Uh, and I'm curious to see how, if at all, Gilliband can kind of start to expand beyond this. I mean, not that it's not enough to just be a kind of silly, irreverent band making really short, stupid records. But I do think that, you know, because of how musically powerful this can be, just in terms of like sheerly, yeah. sheer knocking you over, I would love to see them kind of really lean into that and start to go um, to a, maybe more yeah. ambitious places with it. I'll take this moment so that we can each sort of split the difference between mini segments and then I'll talk about uh, the new King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard album. Their second record of 2022 uh, and not their last because of course it's not. Uh, their new album, which is obnoxiously titled Ice, Death, Planets, Lungs, Mushrooms, and Lava. Uh, and this is, I mean, first of all, it entered the surprisingly growing catalog of 2022 music that's obsessed with mushrooms. This is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, just full-on jazz fusion. And it's it's like jazz fusion, but there's also, you know, a bit of prog rock, a uh, bit of you know, a bit of funk, some sort of like psychedelic pop moments on here and stuff. It's an hour long record. It has seven songs and they're all pretty lengthy in size. Like the shortest thing on here is like almost seven minutes long. And naturally I was a bit skeptical because, you know, they've never, like they have a jazz record in the past. They did um, uh, Sketches of Brunswick East, which is a fine, very chill jazz album, but I, I wouldn't consider that to be like in the upper echelon of their work. And this, on the other hand, I actually, uh, I, I really fucking would. I, I slimly prefer Omnium Gatherum just because that's an, it's such a big album for them and it contains so many great moments for the band that just feels like one of their most definitive uh, records. And even though I was super on board with that album, I was still kind of worried. I was like, is this kind of like a flash in the pan where they get super ambitious and put like a lot of heart and a lot of love into this one album that's really, really big and long. And then they just kind of go back to making their kind of middling stuff that I had a problem with beforehand. Like I, I, I had a worry that they would go back to doing, you know, the, the KGLW kind of style stuff that I just wasn't into. And instead, Microtonal. Tuning. But instead, they lean hard into something that has always been with their sound, but that they've never fully embraced before. And it owns. Um, it's not like a really super direct record. Like, in fact, I would say this might be like one of the chillest King Gizzard albums. It's like one of the most, but it's also like really refreshing to see how like the instrumental actual like sort of variety and sort of muscularity like on display here is like really obviously impressive, but it's all in service of an album that you put on. You're just like, ah, this is is nice you, you know it feels very much in keeping with the sort of steely dins uh asia or you know maybe like frank zappa's uh stuff with um you know the mothers of invention and it's like these songs have such tight grooves i mean ice five is just like the second track on here is just like one of the best king gizzard songs mm -hmm. full fucking stop it's mm -hmm. just it's it is 10 minutes of flawless jazz and not to mention i think the um the ending one-two punch of iron lung and oh. sort of the uh, glee 710 those two songs are fucking phenomenal all of the longer tracks on here they're the best fucking parts of the record and they're so dynamic they don't ever they feel very restless they're very much they evolve in the same way you would want like a great 
uh, tribute to Jack Johnson era Miles Davis album uh, to do uh, such a thing. And it just, there's a feeling of kind of radiant joy that emerges from this. They, they're pretty much I talking about him. a lot of the environmental themes that they have talked about in before. But even on Omnium Gathering, there were moments of like hope and joy that like, you know, they didn't really express in their music beforehand. And here it's kind of a balance of really sort of idealistic sentiments and there's typical like, you know, save the trees shit. Um, but it's cool. You can feel the band having fun again. And I really appreciated that. It's it's mm -hmm. a great release. And honestly, like it's basically as good as Omnium Gatherum. Uh, it's like, I, I put them like right next to each other on my year end list. They're, they're both really, really great. All right, so since we're doing this segment now, I'll get into what I think. Um, I actually made a point because I listened to this for the first time fairly early in the week, and I, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I really liked it straight off the bat. Really liked it, but it also kind of prompted me. I wanted to go back and just revisit some King Gizzard records as well. So I went back, I revisited Nonagon Infinity, I revisited uh, Flying Microtonal Banana, I revisited their 2020 albums KG and LW. Um, and I, so I just wanted to kind of formulate what my overall opinion was on King Gizzard, because I feel like it's always been changing with every, like, I've always had this kind of like, I appreciate them more than I love them sort of mindset with this band. It's kind of frustrated me. And this going back to 2016, because I heard Nonagon Infinity, you know, the week it came out and I was still like trying like, and, and I've gone through so much ever since then. And every single album that's come out, I've been wanting to be able to connect with it. And I never have. And, you know, I, I, and that did sort of start to change, uh, I think, um, more recently. Now, I, I remember, now I know that we weren't too hot on the KGLW records, but I mean, if you go back and watch that KG review, I stood up quite strongly for that album. And I still think that it is actually a really consistently uh, high quality set of songs. Uh, the LG second half, I, revisiting both of those, I still think that really lets it down. And uh, the LG, the LG, the LW half doesn't really, um, with the exception of the big long final track, which is excellent. Uh, it does, the quality does, I think, um, really just take a big dip there, unfortunately. But I still think that that KG half really holds up. And one thing I've got in kind of formulating my opinion on King Gizzard, it's like they've made a number of great albums over the years. But I don't think it, I don't really think that it's been until like within the last couple, two or three years that they've really f just figured out how to be a great band and not saying that they don't have great musical interplay or, you know, you know, they're not like making great songs or whatever on, on those earlier records they are. But I think that it's with these more recent records and particularly Omnium Gatherum and this new one, I feel like the synergy of the band uh, and I know they've been through a lot as well. They've had kind of member departures. They've gone through a lot of stuff as well. But I feel that more than ever, the synergy of this band and the consequent, the and the resultant uh, increased finesse and I think success and ambitious arrangements that they've pursued have really led to their best work ever. And I think, and I said, I'm pretty sure I said this when Omnium Gathering came out. I thought that was their best album to date. Mm -hmm. And I like this even more. So this is their best album to date, in my opinion. Obviously, I haven't heard all of them. I've heard maybe half of them. But of that, the half that I have heard, about 10, I think, 10 or 12, I think I've heard, this is my favorite one. 
Um, and it's, I feel fairly confident about that as well. It kind of does something that I've always wanted them to do as well. Like when I, when the dripping tap first dropped, like way earlier at the start of this year, it was like mm-hmm. this 18 minute prog epic. I was like, fuck yes, this is what I want. Like I want them to indulge these tendencies of, you know, like uh, prog and jam band sort of stylings as well, because they're as players, they're so well equipped to do that. And so I was really hopeful that we'd get a record like that was full of songs like that. And, you know, to the credit of an Omnium Gatherum, even though the Dripping Tap was very much an outlier on that record, the rest of it still really, really held up. And they they did put out a really, oh, yeah. really great album. But I was still left a little bit like, man, I, I wonder what could have been, you know, if it had turned out to be that album where they just focused on these long jamming tracks and really kind of pursuing, you know, the best version of that they could do. And lo and fucking behold, it's here in the same year. They just put the shit out and it exists now. And it's like, you did exactly the thing that I was hoping you would do. And so I, you know, and as a result of that, I love it. I love this thing to bits. I love how it's not even just that it's ambitious. It's that it relentlessly, willfully succeeds at everything it tries to do. Like, I mean, you think about the opening track, Mycelium. It's like, what is it? A nine minute sort of jaunty sort of jazz poppy, you know, almost like, borderline silly song about mushrooms and it's fucking fantastic it's musically incredibly accomplished it it has a lot going on in it it's not just this you know tossed off sort of like ween style thing no disrespect to ween or anything maybe want to sit up and like get grab a drink in the middle of the afternoon and just like throw this on like vinyl or something and just be like yeah "Ah." it was it was stunning fantastic still one of my three favorite songs on the record and then Ice Five, like you said, is just, it, it just, it's, I, I had heard so that song in advance because that was the single they put out about yeah. a month. And I liked it. I didn't really like give it my full attention then because I was just like, I'll wait for the album. I liked it then. I fucking love it now. I mean, it's it's very typical King Gizzard as well. It's the song with the environmental themes. I mean, they carry across the whole record, right? It is ostensibly a record about the destruction of the planet, not a new topic for King Gizzard by any means. Um, but there is, like you say, there's a kind of sense of levity almost that it's kind of handled with, not kind of, you know, poking fun at it necessarily or kind of trying to reduce the seriousness of it, but also just trying not to be too dour of a band about it. And I think they really hit a nice medium there where you're actually getting a song like Ice Five, which lyrically is very kind of, you know, dark and doomy in terms of like the implications about, you know, the oncoming Ice Age or whatever. But at the same time, like it's not you never get the feeling the band are like taking themselves seriously in the pursuit of this the the themes complement the music and it's all just very much a very well-rounded and satisfying musical experience that doesn't ever take you out of it by sort of interrogating itself in a way that would feel a little bit distracting it's just really really good like and it has great flow as well Uh, ice five into magma into lava there's obviously like a bit of thematic cohesion there and and the way those songs are sequenced but also they just flow into each other fantastically iron lung i think is the best song on the record that great track uh i I mean i i said of uh, a couple months ago when we reviewed Omnium Gatherum that that was their best song yet and I still think it is but I would put Iron Lung up in my top five uh that's an amazing amazing song the guitar playing on that song is for even for this band is beyond the pale in terms of quality I mean it's up there with the 70s greats uh you it's it's peerless and yeah and so I think it's a fantastic album I I completely adore it uh and this is I think the first time 
I've ever really felt that way about a King Gizzard album where it's like, I completely adore this and I don't have any tiny reservations. Like I had small no. reservations with a couple of songs on Omnium. I have none of that here. I'm just like, this is cut to the bone, which is ironic considering how long the songs are and kind of how, you know, obviously indulgent those it, run times are. It is the most consistent hour of music they have made since Nonagon Infinity. Uh, and you could probably argue that this is more consistent. I wouldn't, but I mean, it's just like, there's nothing here that I think is is weaker than everything else. Mm. Their their work ethic is like fucking obscene. They're, uh, people rag on their output and it is funny, but it's just like, they are where they are today purely because they are maestros of being musical chameleons. There There is nobody who is doing it like they are. Please, I'm begging y'all, Give me that fucking like prog metal album that I know you all have in you. I know it's there. Give it to me, please. Yeah. So I haven't had a chance to listen to the new EP yet. I will listen to it and I'll chime in on that a little bit next week. Ditto. And then they have a new album, a third album of the month called Changes, which is coming out, I think, in about a week from now. So we'll check that out mm-hmm. when it drops as well. I think that's a short one. So yeah, let's move into our first review of the day then, which is... The new Counterparts album, a eulogy for those still here. So, our real ones may know, those who have followed us upload by upload, if they exist, <laughs> maybe. Anyway, the video has been seen by at least some people that aren't us, so who knows. Uh, we did do a record club on the last Counterparts album, Nothing Left to Love. And that was a record where it was sort of like uh, Morgan, very passionate about this band, really kind of brought the case to the table for them as you know, I got a primary example of a modern band really kind of indulging into the sort of really kind of emotionally overwrought melodramatic full emo side of this kind of hardcore music that they make and it's fair to say that if nothing left to love did that I mean you're not getting anything different in terms of that with this new album this I mean this is a this is a tough record I think thematically as well I mean when you look back to nothing left to love or if you've heard any of counterparts music you know how you know as serious as life or death brendan is when he sings about anything like this is one of those bands where it's like it's not going to be for everyone and some people are going to find it to be overwrought in a really off-putting fashion because of how just really far into the red like over emotional the lyricism is you know and and there are points where it's like you know, not it, laying it on thick would be an understatement. But I think with this context as well, and then reading into some of these lyrics and, and really kind of thinking about some of these songs, like it's a really heavy record. Like, and even like for relative to the other record that I've heard from them as well, like, I think this is even like heavier in terms of subject matter. And there's a lot going on, you know, musically as well. Like it, it's the thing is, like, I think I find it more compelling um, to sort of read about and maybe even think about and maybe just to listen to. A couple of the songs in the first half of the record than to really digest as a full album i don't think that and again i've only heard it once so don't take my opinion with a grain of salt i do think that there there's this the thing with counterparts is like they are great at committing to the bit like they know what their identity is and they're really great at wholeheartedly just going for that just fully embodying it just completely throwing themselves into it but i do think that they work within a fairly limited palette. And when you're committing that much, it can become exhausting quickly. 
And a lot of what they do musically is satisfying in the moment and is satisfying for the first few songs you hear, but then ultimately starts to become a little bit stale uh, as the record goes on. I think that was kind of one of my problem a little bit with um, Nothing Left to Love. And I think unfortunately that's even more of an issue with this record. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Uh, not a very satisfying opinion, I know, but I do think that, you know, I still admire Counterparts a lot for, and particularly Brendan Murphy for how much he really just throws himself into this. It's just, it's awe-inspiring. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because I'm I'm really not that far off from your takeaways from this album. Also more on board with the band to begin with than you are, I think it's fair to say. So yeah, I definitely did enjoy this record. I think the instrumentation, uh, the melodies and their integration with the breakdowns uh, is still very strong. Uh, Murphy's lyrics, while I did, I, I looked over them, but I didn't really dig too deep into their meaning uh, in the context outside of the record. Um, tons of really striking imagery here, which is par for the course after Nothing Left to Love. And that's really how I would describe a eulogy for those still here overall is par for the course. And that's both a good and bad thing. Uh, everything that is strong about Nothing Left to Love is here in some capacity, I think. I think the the hooks aren't quite as strong as they are on that record, I would say, overall. But I, I think agree. they still have a real knack for constructing those. And I think the album is always pretty engaging to listen to. But it really just, you know, it feels like something where it's like the first Counterparts album that you hear is probably going to be your favorite. And I think that's kind of yeah. just because, I mean, again, I've only heard two at this point, but they seem to be just one of those bands that really just kind of make the same album over and over more or less i've heard some of their earlier stuff and that is kind of the Even case it's not inherently a bad thing as well but it does mean no not it, at all it does mean that you're going to be limited in your appeal to people who really like that exact thing you're doing every single time um and you know you do run the risk of you know especially when it, what that thing you're doing is so emotionally charged right it becomes really really difficult to maintain that without it starting to feel a little bit rote right and i think again not that you have to have, and not that you should, of course, have to have horrible tragedies in your life to draw upon mm. to make that powerful. But I do think that, you know, what distinguishes this record specifically is this theme. And it's really, I think, only explored fully in the songs, Whispers of Your Death and the title track, this theme of grieving someone who is still alive, essentially, of becoming kind of obsessed with the potential for loss, essentially, that you then put yourself emotionally through the experience of losing someone even though they're still here. Like that, that's a, a really interesting topic, I think. It's something that those two songs really powerfully look at. And I wish kind of that they carried over to more parts of the record as well, because it's a really interesting idea. But, and that's, I think maybe the thing that distinguishes this the most, but that's really the, the fullest extent, I think, of what the record has going for it. Um, and, and that's good. And it's good enough. It's good enough to make it a, a solid record. But yeah, I definitely confess that when I'm not listening to those songs, 
where those ideas are being explored and of course where the band are matching that because i mean the band are doing a, a, a really talented but they are doing a fairly kind of sort of standard melodic metalcore thing cool 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 uh but what we're so where i'm really where my attention is really kind of garnered is when interesting stuff is happening thematically and really for me it's only really on those two moments although i will say that what mirrors might reflect is a real is a standout i think in the second half in terms of just really picking up a little bit more uh, musically and really just having a bit more fire to it you know obviously all these songs have fire to it but i mean like in a way where it sort of sticks in my memory a little bit more and i think that the closing track as well as a little bit more you know there's nothing on here i would call musically experimental but it maybe is uh one of the most distinct songs on the record musically but yeah that's really the extent to where i feel of what i feel about it is that the the most i get from this record really is something i can get from one or two songs and that's kind of just where i'm at with it yeah i, I wouldn't say that's unfair and, and again to focus on the positives i find this to be a fairly cohesive listen enjoyment wise um especially factoring in the production quality here uh i mean like i, I just think of the first uh i don't know 10 15 seconds of bound of the burn for instance where everything mm. is just like the it sounds like titans fighting each other the way that the drums come in and the way that the the guitar is so reverbed but still so it still has so much clarity and bite to it i'm absolutely a sucker for that and that's i think that's the album highlight for me I think probably the best way to cap it is just to say, you know, it's great that they're still making music. It's great that Brendan is still around. It's great that the band are still around. Like someone has to be doing this really, this, the, you know, this fullest extremist type of emo hardcore that most bands are too, or most people are probably too embarrassed to do because it is like, it's, you know, it's, you know, you're leaving it all on the table, even compared to some other emo singers who affect the more kind of poetic style. You're really just kind of going for broke. And I think there's something to be said for a commitment to that. And even at the even at the um, expense of diversity or whatever, um, I do, yeah. I do I mean, genuinely admire that. The core fan base of this band seems to be just, I mean, just absolutely losing it. This is sitting at like a 4.1 or a 4.2 on Sputnik right now. Yeah. And it's doing pretty well on Rate Your Music as well. Mm. So, I mean, I, you know. It's not going to be nothing left to love, but you know, nothing else is. Yeah. So as, as someone who was in like in a very similar place with Morgan is that I, I was certainly on more on board in Morgan's camp with nothing left to love. I'm in a very similar place. I, I really like maybe stuff like the, uh, like bound to burn and unwavering vow, like that one, two punch, I think is fantastic. And I also really love mass grave of saints. I really how love how far that leans into the sort of emo side of their sound. And like the one true instrumental difference here is that like some of these guitars are when they're like really down tuned, like to the point where they basically just sound like a bass. It's really throwing in like the, the influence of like maybe the more beat down hardcore, like, like this this album in very frequently sounds like knock loose um which you know it it does like down to tune those guitars to just like obscenely filthy degrees and i really like that it's just not an idea i feel like is fully developed enough in this band's sound that makes it feel enough like it's a genuine component that they're utilizing as well as a band like knock loose does so like i i enjoy this very much as as well as a new counterparts album can be enjoyed 
but I also am just kind of I didn't really have expectations so again I'm also not disappointed but it's it's just sort of like you know yeah it's it's like I said last week sometimes bands can just be good and that's fine Mm -hmm. three favorite tracks I'm gonna go with Bound to Burn Unwavering Vow and A Mass Grave of Saints I would also just like to say that A Mass Grave of Saints is maybe the most metal title of a song this year that's just hard as fuck. Uh, least favorite is definitely Soil 2. Uh, and I, I'll i say that I give it a, a 6.5 bordering on a 7 out of 10. It's, it's a, it is a good, it is a very good album. Uh, yeah, similarly, I will go with what's basically the three-track opening salvo of Whispers of Your Death, Bound of the Burn, and Unwavering Vow. Uh, least favorite is either Soil 2 or Skin Beneath a Scar, which I think is has similar issues to the aforementioned sequel to Dirt. Um, <laughs> and I will also give this a 7 out of 10. My three favorite tracks are Whispers of Your Death, uh, Bound to the Burn, and The Eulogy for those still here. Uh, my least favorite is probably uh skin beneath a scar or whatever the song is where he talks about draining blood because i keep that's the one i keep thinking he was saying drink blood and it just made me feel like okay whatever dude but to be fair it was drained but whatever enough blood yeah i'm gonna give the album a a light tentative six out of ten which gives us an average of 6.5 for counterparts a eulogy for those still here all right let's move into the main event of today one of the biggest albums of the year. Always Blue Rev. And I'm here with the New Zealand equivalent of the Blue Rev, which is the Blue V. Uh, so those, I, I guess you guys will know what a Rev is. It's like a vodka-based mixer drink, I think. Like an energy drink, but it's alcoholic, yeah. I think, from what I can understand. This is not alcoholic, but it is heavily, like, guarana based and i use it to um wake up a lot of the time and also to you know spike my heart rate wake up in an unsustainable manner and so here we are i've got a visual representation of the album and boy oh boy is this an album (laughs) i mean look we've been on the books we're huge always fans and you know always it's kind of difficult if someone's never heard always it's really difficult i think to describe the appeal of always in a way that doesn't just make you make the person think well there's loads of bands like that what makes them so special and it's like yeah you're kind of right but here's the thing is just that what they do is they're like the goats they're the goats at it they have the source and there's dozens of bands who try to come up does it better there's dozens of bands who've come up post always and have tried to do what they do and just don't have that x factor that songwriting factor that musicianship factor that ability to just i mean molly rankin shits amazing hooks right she just she doesn't i don't know how she does it it just comes in like she she, correct she draws them out of the ether right and here's the thing about always is they have i think sustained their reputation as well by not being particularly prolific so that each time an always album comes about it feels like an event. I mean, this is only the third one. We've talked about how, you know, momentous and what a great and just kind of standout indie pop record 
anti-socialites was in 2017. Uh, we all love that record. One of the absolute standouts of that year. I love it too. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny because we were talking about LXG recently and that album to me along with Rocket is like one of those 2017 core, like sort of jangly, noisy, but really pretty, um, you know, indie rock records that really feel like they sum up the time. And so it's really interesting to think about because always to me, they are so mid 2010s in terms of like where they belong and, you know, the aesthetic and the scene that they're in. So it was like, I was very curious, you know, going into this, what was a 2022 always going to sound like? How are they going to like feel vital uh, still? And, you know, to their credit, I mean, I, I will say, you know, I wasn't thinking that much because I was digging into these singles as they were coming out and they were all amazing. And so I was like, fuck it. Obviously, these guys are going to pull it out of the bag. Working with Mr. Sean Everett. Come on, say it with gang. He's the dude. He's the he's the he's the goat, right? So we need, we need a Sean Everett button. We do need a Sean Everett button, right? Um, so this was as a proposition, this was incredibly hard to fuck up. And they didn't. This is, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, like basically the day after it came out i was already hearing it as a masterpiece the first time i was listening to it and i was you know i i do that hesitantly whenever i do it because it's like you know you don't know how you know your feelings might change they could they, you know a lot of the time when you have an amazing first listen it can just be natural that that may fade a little bit second or third happens time. to us all the time so i was cautious but i was like giving it a really i was really i was like no this is what they're they're like they do this thing so well that you inadvertently like they inadvertently highlight the limitations of bands that don't do it that well in ways you'd never really picked up on until this point and now in a certain sense i worry they may ruin other bands for me <laughs> because they are just like everything they do is so utilitarian it's so compact but it's also so full of flair and character every second every second of this album has something interesting happening in it not just it's not just pretty dream pop it's not just pretty indie rock which can be enough of course it can be enough but this record never for one moment settles for being that jake morgan big always fans that you are what were your expectations for this record and how do you feel it holds up to their self-titled and of course to anti-socialites morgan Am I remembering correctly and the the way I discovered this band is that you told me about them? Because I'm pretty sure you listened to yeah. Anti-Socialites and the self-titled when they came out and you were just like, hey, I just listened to these two and I think you'll really like them. Because I remember like I, I remember like pulling them up on my phone on my way to work after like getting a text message from you, I think. And I was just like, yo, I should listen to these albums. Uh and I don't, I probably mentioned anti-socialites at some point uh, during one of the many what we've been listening to segments, probably pretty early on in this podcast tenure. And like, I got to stress here is that I don't just really like anti-socialites. I fucking love that album. I adore that record. I have been updating a playlist of pop music 
since like I got into music to just play in the car and listen to constantly and because Apple Music sucks and like constantly deletes it because that's what Apple Music does I have to keep remaking it over and over again and I shit you not every single fucking song on that album always makes that playlist because they're all so great and I love I I think the self-titled is really good too but they didn't quite hit the sort of note that that really like struck a chord with me until anti-social life that was a big album when it came out like i saw previews on youtube for that album with like singles like dreams tonight playing and that became like the sound of like summer to me i I listened to it over and over and over again and it's just such a wonderful record filled with great hooks it's not very long it's very compact very tight like riley said that's sort of the appeal of this band is that they sort of concentrate all of the appeal of a dream pop indie pop band and just sort of like focus it into the most like beautifully saturated colorful versions of themselves and and it it wastes no time and not to mention i still feel like the songwriting on always albums is deeply underappreciated just because lots of you know dream pop bands you know they're all about the vibes man but you listen to anti-socialites that's a very potently emotional record with lots of great content on it so like in my mind it's been five years since then. I, I haven't really, like, the idea of a new Always album, I you know, they've just kind of come and went. Maybe they would never make another album again, for all I knew. So you have an album like that. It's completely unfair that you have a record like that, that you have to compare the rest of your discography to. Like, it's, it's, it, it's just unfair. No matter what you release afterwards, you're going to get compared to that, especially for me, because it's a favorite, because it's been in constant rotation ever since. So I'm like, I can't, have expectations for this album that are on par with that because that's just absolutely fucking unfair and the thing is is that it's like they approached it's it's james cameron in the meeting in the meeting room pitching aliens where he just writes the s at the end except the s at the end is sean everett and it's just like hey what if we take that we blow out the production we make it louder bigger and brighter and then what happens is you get an album that's even better than Antisocialites. Um, yeah. This this album. Need. I mean, clearly, I I have it. I have it on vinyl. Uh, it came today. Thankfully, I wanted to use it as a prop, and I'm glad that it's in time. But the thing is about this album is that it is good for all the same reasons that Antisocialites is good, except it somehow manages to sound even better, and the construction of it is somehow tighter. Every single song here, every single one of them, they're all great. Even the ones that are like two and a half minutes long, which we have this problem all the time with records, with pop records and stuff where it's just like, they just, they feel scant. They don't feel like they're enough to get their ideas going. Whereas this is like fucking, it's like when, you know, you learn that the, the Native American, they used every single part of the buffalo. Too often does pop music not make use of the entire goddamn oh, buffalo. That, that's the, that's Whereas, the whole quote of this entire segment. Always use every part of the buffalo. The whole, the whole fucking buffalo. They're so goddamn utilitarian. That's the video that title. Basically, 
and like every single element of songwriting and pop song construction is so forward and front and center like the idea of like the concept of the key change is an art that this band have mastered fucking flawlessly and look it's no secret this band is getting like this album's getting showered in praise right now it's one of the most beloved albums of the year so far and even then of course you're going to somehow manage to come across the few dissenters and like like you know the potential criticisms is that like you know this runs together it doesn't every song on here is distinct and has its own identity to the point where when each song comes on my phone i get excited that a new one is starting where you just remember all the little bits and pieces and parts of it that make you go oh shit yeah fuck yeah let's go and not to mention the fact that some people you know uh that people who don't like the record are just like the the melodies aren't catchy enough or like the hooks aren't memorable enough i have not been able to like i'm like fucking august with bad out of hell i can't fucking forget the hooks in this goddamn album it's a problem i have to listen to it to obfuscate the fact that it's playing in my fucking head right now i'm still like thinking about like the 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 tune to shit like very online guy or the fucking amazing sounding new order synths that are in that to the point where i have literally made i i've made a fucking list i have like instead of like in traditional criticism i just have the top 10 moments on blue rev that's that are the my best, that things. is the perfect way to approach this as well not even like and, thinking about all oh, this ranking the songs or whatever but just this, yeah. this is a record of individual moments that are strung yeah. together to make your fucking joy it's and it's it's sequenced in such a way and the songs are paced in such a way that it's just this <laughs> linear experience of constant treasure uncovering number 10 by the way is the fucking new order since on very online guy which did take me a little bit to get used to just like that was sort of my like least favorite song for for a while but first of all i just i love the fucking the he's all i want and the fact that like always have all like always have always ha 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 they've had this element present where they're they're an emotional band but they're also a very cheeky band they write about very like youthful kind of coming of age topics that are very potent and very well mined on here but they're also kind of irreverent and that like you know a lot of anti-socialites is about getting over a relationship where you were kind of treated like shit and kind of sticking it to the person that you don't like anymore and that's kind of what very online guy is if nothing else it provides me with a great uh response reaction image on twitter to to make people angry with with if i think they're too online but like it's it's just such an amazingly constructed song that like you know you could just be like oh this is about like internet culture or whatever it doesn't matter when the hooks are this good and the song sounds this great and fucking number that that's that that's my number fucking 10 and that's like one of the highlights of the year then I have on number nine is the echo delay fade out at the end of Pomeranian Spinster, which is ah. just like the most eclectic, eccentric, Ugh. fucking punky, weird, bright thing on the record. And Ugh. the end of it, fucking, it just sends you into the stratosphere. Fucking eight is the weird ass nasty guitar riff solo at the end of Pharmacist that sounds like Johnny Marr ah. did some wicked stimulants. And then fucking seven is the guitar chords on Velveteen that sound like the greatest Lost Tears for Fears instrumental hook of all time. Six is when Belinda holds the note on Lottery Noises and she screams, Now that you're around, 
It's so fucking good. And then five is the little pause before the final chorus repeat on board in Bristol when it gets even fucking louder than the rest of it. Fucking four is that little like basically actually it's it's three and four are the same moment and that throughout this album they do the um Tom York on letdown thing where he does the vocal overdub of him carrying the note and oh. simultaneously the normal stop part of the song is still playing but like even louder and they do that like five times on this album and each time it makes me want to like fucking fist pump into the sky it's so fucking awesome and then on number two the fucking the final i can't believe on many mirrors when she puts some extra stank on that refrain and goes i can't believe it's so, oh uh, and then the best the best <clears throat> moment the best moment of music like potentially of this year is just the absolute belt of does it get easy on your own at the very end of easy on your own that like i feel alive when i hear that shit i have been dancing my ass off to this ah. entire album all week at work i've been pumping my fist i've been moving around like a little goblin man at work and it's just like <laughs> How how often does music just make me feel this unapologetically happy? And the answer is fucking never, never is shit this good and this fun. I, yeah, it really does. It really does sound like what having a blue V, or maybe I assume by extension a blue Riv for the first time, or maybe not the first time, maybe like the third time or something when you've gotten over the taste of it and it's really just starting to have this pure dopamine rush effect like um this album is it's fucking amazing it's actually actually breathtaking is what it is like i i feel like we've had some segments this year where we've really like been a, a, a fucking fusive but i feel like this is gonna about to go to new levels and i'm sorry like for uh, for the fact for you know for this being just so like one-sided dick sucking but like my god so many it should moments. have made a worse album so <laughs> i don't know so what to tell you it, 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 like i've already said it i've already said it. i think it's best like possible it is some of the best moments in music in recent years strung together with no airspace in between them essentially I mean, pharmacist is a great case study to start off with right this song is two minutes flat right and this was the lead single as well and essentially they get through all of the great things that a basic pop song needs to have by about 90 seconds through right and you're like oh man like where is the song gonna go from here essentially and then you get that final just gnarled as fuck guitar solo and what's great about it as well is you know when i was younger i would i would the brevity of this solo would have been really pissed off at it i've been like why did you not like do another you know four bars like why is that it but now I'm like, I've got, you know parlor bees like that but it's like and now I'm like you just you you trim the fat you make it perfect right you leave it you make it so that when it finishes you are dazed and you're in that space of pure euphoria right you haven't been able to get used to that phase of euphoria and then you go into easy on your own right which is one of the singles of the year my god this song is god. utterly insanely good like this is also like i would say maybe more <sighs> than any other song on the record it's not my favorite one overall but it's maybe like the most sort of prototypical always song and kind of most represents i think like you know if you're coming off the back of anti-socialites you want to see how they've kind of 
you know, uh, continued to be always, but also like, you know, thrown a bunch of new stuff on to make it feel, you know, to, to show how it is a development. This is kind of the textbook example, I think. Like the hook construction here, the emotion. I mean, like so many songs are about fairly straightforward things as well. You know, like Pharmacist is about, you know, that post breakup period of just strangeness, you know, and, and you know, a lot of it is about, you know, trying to deal with residual emotional connections as well and trying to come to terms with, you know, very basic kind of day-to-day mundanities in terms of like existing in the wake of, you know, a massive stage of your life having passed or a new stage of your life having kind of coming into view. Uh, I think that that idea of like, kind of, you know, again, I'm not pretending that it's profound or new in any, any way, but still when it's done well, it's, it is, it, it, it's as beautiful as it could possibly be. And it is what the art is all about. So a song like After the Earthquake, which I think is one of the oh. one of the absolutely perfect songs on this record. This is like, I mean, to me, because the thing about Blue Rev, right, it's really difficult to take in what Molly is saying the first time you hear it, right? Not just because it's such a fast-paced record, but also because, you know, the way that she sings as well, her voice is very much a part of the sonic fabric a lot of the time. And I can understand maybe if people weren't all that into Molly's voice. I can get that, you know, I won't hold that against anyone. But um, all the same, when you do get a chance to adjust to how, you know, ridiculously kinetic and energetic and, and full of ideas this album is musically, and you get to process that, and you get to start paying attention to the lyrics, this album just becomes, you know, it, it, it somehow finds a new level. After the earthquake, pictures hanging diagonally, drive through, crying in a milkshake. It wasn't built to last. So again, lots of fairly straightforward uh, singer-songwriter metaphor here. But the way that, first of all, the way that Molly constructs these metaphors as well, slightly abstract, slightly kind of jagged, but also the fact that she sings so fast as well that you can barely kind of keep up with it as well. The way that her voices just have, her, her verses just have this amazing flow into the choruses that feel like you at some points barely even tell where what verse is ending and a chorus begins. Essentially, she as I think even more than ever before, she's refined her skill for really crafting just very potent images as well and like quite abstract images that really complement the emotions of the song the pulse of the brake light is the color of burning embers if you wake up will you remember the awful things i said at the edge of the bed right that's a great couplet right because you've got the first line is abstracted and it is also kind of evoking a particular setting of you know being you know in traffic essentially being in transit essentially moving forward and then the second line is about being stuck in the past. Okay, so lingering on something that you just did or something that you did um, that you're not proud of or, you know, a concern that you have about potentially the repercussions of something that you see potentially and, and, you know, being in this kind of moment where you're bracing yourself for it. And look, I could pick apart every lyric on the album in that way and talk about how beautifully they're constructed to complement and build on each other and create these kind of fractured but really potent pictures of you know relationships that are falling apart of emotional connections that are untethered essentially from the the good times essentially uh why would i ever fall in love again when every detail is over the guardrail like the bridges on this album as well are astonishing like uh, molly rankin has perfected the art of a great bridge like i could rank the bridges on this album and I, it would take me like a day to figure out how I would rank them like it's just it's such a pointless task like every single detail is so finely tuned to perfection here in every single song 
I mean, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard for me to think of anything I don't absolutely love about the way that any of these songs are constructed uh, from a moment to moment basis. Morgan, what do you think? I mean, I mean, I know you agree with us, all of us, what we've said so far as well, but I'm curious about like just what aspects of the record or what songs really stick out to you or um, I guess what your thoughts are at this point. This is a very hard album to review, I think, because it's, its appeal is almost exclusively emotional because I, I, I threw this on on the car ride home on Wednesday and I felt like I was seeing color for the first time in years. Uh, yeah. Like every, everything was just brighter. And it was like, is this what it feels like to be okay for a little this bit? This band hits different in a car. Like that, listening yeah. to them wherever is great. But like when you're in transit and there's like a sunset, you're just like, wow, this really is as happy as I'm capable of being. Yeah, this so much of this the appeal of this album is so ephemeral and experiential, and naturally it's that good because of how talented this band is, how amazing the album sounds, and all that. But like you know, again, the album feels like just nothing but moments. The, the it feels like bored in Bristol finally actually reveals itself to you after the sort of you know first 15 20 seconds where it's kind of amorphous and then she starts singing and you just want to weep and you have no idea why really and it's just it gets the people going it's yeah. hard this, i mean this, like this is a bit of a medium hop here but like i feel like you'll understand what i mean this is like the mad max fury road of albums in that it is it feels like a highlight reel of something that's already great and you're being shown all of the best parts of that and it works even better as that somehow like it, it feels like they've entered a realm of of the, the you know sean everett in general is like a cheat code because it's just like hey do you want the next always album to sound like the most recent it's, war on drugs record and it's like what it's yeah, like, fucking... how i would describe this is it's like uh, a, it's like a best of compilation of new material yeah yeah oh yep. god yeah really it, it, but like sequenced in such a way that it feels like it couldn't be any other fashion there's like there's a distinct emotionality that just sort of transfers seamlessly like that that sort of rush you get from pharmacist easy on your own and after the earthquake and then you get that like the just kind of spacious slow opening of tom verlaine a song that i simply do not hear talked about enough which is a crying shame because it's fucking perfect <laughs> but like that that kind of moment that lets you just kind of settle in it for a sec the, the way this album manages to pace itself while still not being overly long like it's it's such a treat it's such a rich kind of dessert but it feels like there's so much architecture to that experience like it, it sound wise and genre wise like this is this year's equivalent of sweet trips a tiny house and secret speeches polar equals but for completely opposite reasons and that a tiny house and secret speeches polar equals is an impossibly large cake 
with buttercream icing that you could never hope to finish on your own, but you're just kind of like, you're eating it and you eat until you're full and you're like, God damn, that's the best fucking cake I've ever tasted in my life. Whereas this is like, you get a slice of the best cake that anyone's ever made ever. And it's for completely opposite reasons. That that album before, it's like, I love them about as much, frankly, but it sort of explains the polarity of why Dream Pop is an incredibly versatile genre. And that that is an album that's full of worlds and like constantly disintegrating and reintegrating images that keep showing up. And it's way more ephemeral. Whereas I think that this is an ephemeral record as well, but it also feels like it's it's rooted in a very tangible, emotional, like lived in experience that the Sweet Trip album doesn't quite have. Like that, and it makes it like a tighter, more like relentlessly forward moving experience. My favorite run of songs on the record is the run from Tile by Tile to Board in Bristol inclusive. So this is, and it's like this run of, I mean, the whole album is fantastic, but these, this run of songs to me is emblematic of the re the record at its, at its, all of the record's strengths, essentially, as well as how they interact with each other, as well as how the sequencing, it doesn't build a narrative, essentially, because it's not really a linear narrative type of record, but the emotions and some of the scenarios that are conveyed and, and that Molly kind of details in these songs do fold into one another. I mean, it is all sort of, you know, it's all really, essentially, it's like post-breakup kind of malaise, essentially, that loneliness, and that really comes to the fore on Tile by Tile, which is, I think, as close as the record really gets to a ballad a full-on ballad as well mm -hmm. i mean this is one of the most moving songs of the year i've shed a tear more than once to it this week as well i mean molly i mean this is the thing molly doesn't have a very versatile voice but within her sort of limited range and within her very limited style, she is able to kind of find these sort of subtle grooves in the way that she performs that she can use to really emphasize devastating emotion at certain points. And she does that to a T on tile by tile as well. And again, it's like the lyrics are such an evocative way of uh, really communicating this just disgusting longing that she's that she's stuck within and the way that that's tied to specific memories that we of course don't get to be privy to i'm still waiting on my invitation i shouldn't have ever gone in the truck the whole ride writing in your condensation writing in your condensation that's such a fucking gutting kind of visual you know uh, motif you know that says so much i shouldn't have ever been calling it love you know, and the way that she kind of, sw again, she switches up the chorus each time she sings it as well. So she changes the lyrics to add to it, to add to the feeling as well. You know, that image of taking calls from telemarketers in hopes of hearing your drawl, you know, you don't find yeah. out at any point that this person works, you know, on a call center, but now you get a kind of sense of an implication there. You know, I let them blare the wrong without a thought. I surrender my credit card. You know, the sense to which you're so vulnerable for that need that you're, you know, you willingly let yourself kind of be taken for a ride essentially just to be, not have to be in control of yourself for a short period of time. It's at a perfect, perfect song. And then it goes into Pomeranian Spinster as well, which is kind of like an interesting sequencing choice back to back because it's like the most, one of the most kind of energetic and kind of like punky songs on the record as well. It reminds me a lot of something you might hear on the new Beth's album as well. It just has that sort of uh, Elizabeth, um, what's her surname? Elizabeth Fraser energy. Uh, and as well, I mean, the song is just, 
it's a little bit more snotty as well. I mean, it starts off with that, don't want to be nice, don't want your advice, or the run of my tights, I'm going to get what I want. It's like this real kind of reaction against that very, very f- deeply felt vulnerability of the previous song as well. And It's like a pop song. Yeah, and I mean, the, it's just that, that sense of... Uh, like uh, entitlement which is definitely like a forced entitlement as well like a kind of defense mechanism really continues through the song as well should have been mine had I just said something if I wasn't polite stuck my hand stuck out my hand grabbed it and ran and you wouldn't have been accosted all according to the plan like and and then just going into that final outro as well which is some of my this is my favorite moment on the record actually you know mm-hmm. uh I heard you ask me to smile, detour right off the road. Don't ever ask me to smile. What dress is she going to wear? What's to be done with her hair? Don't ever ask me to smile. You'll spend the rest of your days. And then just this amazing moment where she's like taking your foot off the brake, foot on the brake, foot on that. And then she cuts off and she just does this kind of like vocal, just croon essentially. And the whole soundscape sort of takes over. I love that. I love that moment where she gets so stumbling on her line because she's so fucking caught up in her tense emotion. Essentially, she just stumbles over it and then just completely falls apart into noise and then the fucking guitar solo that comes in after that Fuck. is genuinely gobsmacking like i'm and running out of shit i am running out of superlatives and then you go into and this we haven't even gotten to my favorite song on the record which is the very next track belinda says i think this mine is- too this yeah. is, I think this is the best always song as well. Like just in general, this is their best song, I think. Yeah. I'm fairly be. confident yeah. at this point. Um, because I mean, I mean, I have loads of contenders, but this to me is like of all the songs on the record, this is the one that most feels like an instant fucking standard that's been around mm-hmm. for 50 fucking years. That feels like it will be one of the, you know, future cherry colored funks or whatever. You know, it just feels like a song that the whole aesthetic and genre and different sets of sounds or whatever that always exist within have been it's been waiting for this song to be written like the chorus is just one of the best chorus melodies i've heard in years like it, it it's it's a really kind of simple and sort of stripped back song lyrically but it's almost as though that is used to really emphasize the emotions that are being conveyed and the images it's it's less kind of focused on images and more sort of focused on individual moments and feelings and it's just god it's again like in the way the title gets evoked as well in the final part of the song i'll egress to inverness with nothing in my pocket belinda says that heaven's a place on earth well so is hell like that's just a great line and and then you go into board in bristol which is kind of like of this four song stretch it's kind of like a coder of sorts it starts giving you a little bit of space to breathe and then again i talked about bridges and the bridge on the song, getting Ooh. on the last train, like that shit. Ah, oh, yeah. oh, psychic damage. I have conveyed. I have. I have taken damage. If there's a pill, I'll swallow. Gazing out the window, we could do it all. The sentiment will follow. If you're at home soon, then we can leave tonight. Actually, you know, I'm gonna t- next week when we talk about the new Wild Pink album, which I've only listened to once. But spoiler alert, I'm gonna be very, very positive about that. There's a very similar lyrical conveyance on that record about like leaving quickly and and just sort of driving into the night or dry, getting onto a train or whatever it's very kind of like springsteen-esque sentiment and like i listened to the i listened to that album like in between listening sessions of this record and it was like the it was like you know the world was creating interrelations and everything was kind of aligning and i was sort of 
you know, I was not a human being, like a conscious person at that moment. I was just like a part of the song, <laughs> of the continuous perpetual songs that that I was existing in. I know I'm starting to sound ridiculous, but like, you know, when uh, you, you this just, is just the kind of headspace that stuff like this puts you in. I feel like if you if you deny yourself that, you're sort of denying what's important and special about music like this in general. Like, I mean. The second like half of Belinda says, lyrically speaking, is just like it taps into this sort of yearning that I think is kind of partial to the experience of like why this album is so like apart from the fact that always have definitely like they've come up in their scene, they've cultivated a following, they were setting themselves up for victory. And, you know, with an album like this, they're running their home run. Mm. But I feel like part of the reason this is catching on the way it is is because this is feels like an album that's sort of like the trajectory of their records has kind of followed their audience as they've grown up with it because I feel like the people who were you know mid to late teenagers when the self-titled and anti-socialites came out you're in your either early to mid 20s now and this speaks to like I mean from like easy on your own this is a very post-collegiate album this is an album about getting older and then wanting something more out of life and like just you know that's what Belinda says is so powerful is that it's just like she has these dreams that of just like going off and like these these very modest dreams of just like having a different life and you almost get the sense that it's not because that's an idealized life but just because it's a grass is all always greener that it's just it's something different than what she has so it feels like that'll be better and that's sort of like you know it, it has that but it also has the sort of like kind of self-effacing like a, a, an underrated quality this album has is that it's so goddamn funny one of my favorite lyrical passages of the year is the fucking the is she a perfect 10 have you found christ again like she's <laughs> such a funny fucking writer and there's never like a moment where she gets bogged down in either being like too kind of witty for her own good or too kind of like overindulgently emotional it's just like everything that she can be good at she's great at here yeah i think like the the cat path moment for me like was getting to the final track fourth figure the shortest song on here and i said this immediately I'm, i remarked this to you jake is that like she does a little vocal rise on the line i know there's a way it's like the same melodic vocal rise that phoebe bridges does in savior complex and of yeah. course i'm sure it's like probably been done in a million songs but like just because sure. of how embedded punisher is in my brain i heard this song and like immediately like oh that's that just immediately reminded me of of how that little vocal rise sounds in that song which is one of my favorite little vocal details on that whole album for yeah for the for the record and like it was just a little moment where it was like yeah you know like when punisher came out you know even though i was even though that was i yeah when punisher came out it was like this is an instant classic like it's an indie classic indie rock record right like it was just like from a songwriting from a musical perspective it was like it was like the zeitgeist was building to something like this to kind of make a cemented statement about it aesthetically musically thematically all that whatever and this feels like I don't think there's been a record since Punisher that has done that for indie rock anyway. I'm talking specifically within this niche. And this is it, I think. And again, I it's not agree. me saying this is not like saying that I think it's, you know, I, I do think it's a, basically a 
flawless record and i think uh, it's an amazing record but it doesn't have to be like your favorite thing since punisher or whatever necessarily i'm just talking about culturally aesthetically musically in terms of the genre as it's evolved like this is there this is the next punisher essentially and we're getting to experience it in real time and it's cool as fuck <laughs> it's rooted in a kind of pure musical escapism that just makes me feel this unrepentant joy and like if you've been paying attention to these podcast episodes this year, every single what we've been listening to segment since like fucking March, I've probably said I've had a hard week this week because yeah, I've had a hard lot of hard weeks this year. And I, I just have to value something that so wholly commits to making me just feel happy to be alive, to listen to music like Blue Rev does. I, I, it's, it's something I haven't felt in a good long while. And it's, it's nice to be reminded, it's not only nice to feel that, but just to be reminded that you're capable of feeling that, that you're just like, damn, there really are still things to look forward to. Amen. Let's do our favorite tracks and ratings for Blue Rev. I'll go first this time. My, if I had to pick only three, uh, as we typically do, uh, I'm going to go for Belinda Says, uh, yeah. after the earthquake those are the that's my top two and then for third i'll put in pomeranian spinster no least favorite fuck off with that shit uh it's a 9.5 from me morgan yeah i don't right now i'll say bored in bristol after the earthquake and Velveteen, fucking ten, number right. two of the year. August was day. August was not able to join us today, but he has rated it three stars and rate your music. I'm going to choose to interpret that as a six point five as opposed to a six, <laughs> uh, just because I want to. And he can ref he can change that if he wants. Um, but yeah, Jake, your turn uh three favorite songs you 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 will ask me in five minutes and i will give you a different set of answers but right now i i would say that belinda says is probably my favorite song on here and then i mean i gotta reiterate just how fucking amazing easy on your own is um and then morgan already shouted out velveteen so i'll i'll say that 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 that's up there but i'll say Yeah, after the earthquake, that that second half dream pop just doesn't get better. Least favorite tracks. I, I really don't fucking have one. I there are like a couple songs on here that aren't tens for me, and they're all nines. So like, who gives a shit, man? And so I've been mulling it over all week. I had it at a, like a nine, listening to it over and over again. But now I have to say. You are a perfect 10. <laughs> I found Christ again. Woo! Yay. 10. Number it, top three for the year. I don't know where to land, but fucking you'll find out in two months, I guess. That's, that's, that is, that is incredibly fucking dope. I'm just trying to look at when was the last time one of us gave a new release a 10. And I don't think my last that, one was Heavy Pendulum. Yes, mine was, that, that, mine that, was that, Ethel. 
yeah so that's yeah. yeah we haven't had a 10 on a main episode except from a guest which is fine i guess uh we haven't had a 10 on a main, count yeah we haven't had a 10 on a main episode since um morgan gave a 10 to heavy pendulum so that's pretty fucking cool. we have two for the same album and i'm basically there finally have three tens this year i thought it wasn't gonna happen like i would be there if i hadn't like recalibrated my system to be a little bit pickier but we'll see what happens with time it may well get upgraded which gives us an average overall of 9.0 for always's mm. blue rev let us know at home what you think of either of the albums that we have discussed today counterparts a eulogy for those still here and of course always blue rev we want to hear from you we want to hear your takes also the other albums we discussed today the new king gizzard record as well the new giller band record as well uh any of the things that we've talked about today we want to hear your takes as well because it's this is just our perspective so we want to hear especially if you have any kind of dis dissenting in the ranks hit us up in the comments below as well we want to hear from you if you enjoyed this video please consider giving it a like and of course subscribing as well if you haven't already both of those things as you know help us a great deal if you want to go above and beyond and support us even more plus get your name in the title of every video title screen uh, on this channel plus get to recommend us some music that we will talk about on the podcast, hit the join button for just $1 a month. Those perks will become yours. Road to 1500. Yeah, we're, we're, get it. we're ticking up with 1500. We have a lot of great stuff in the pipeline as well before the year is going to be out. I mean, list, list, videos are going to be up, up are going to be on upon us, you know, before we know it essentially. So it's going to be a great time. Um, December is always a fun month. As always though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, Red Bull gives you wings.